Ooh, there's a spider on my page. Sorry, Get spider. It. <laughs> it literally just walked across the page. And this is where the podcast ends because you have to set the room on fire. Oh my god, yes. My name is Meg McGowan. I've friends with Dustin for a long time. And spoiler alert, today Dustin and I will be talking about the book Cirque du Freak, A Living Nightmare. Coming up next. So you have a long to be read list and you don't know how to proceed. Just give yourself a break, my friend, because Dustin can read. Dustin can read. In the tradition of Stephen King's Salem's Lot, Cirque du Freak is the frightening saga of a young boy whose visit to a mysterious freak show leads him on a journey into a dark world of vampires. Filled with grotesque creatures, murderous vampires, and a petrifying ending, Cirque du Freak will chill, thrill, and leave readers begging for more. So, like many books I've read, I started reading this one when I heard it was coming out as a movie back in 2009. And, you know, I was well above the targeted audience, the age group for the series. Mm -hmm. But I found its premise fascinating. I really liked the idea. It was really original. Um, The Irish author, which his name is actually Darren O'Shaughnessy. He took up this moniker of Shan to add a bit more realism to the character. Like saying he is the actual Darren in the story type of thing. So, I mean, as a kid, that would have made me want to read these books even more because I would have thought, oh, my gosh, this guy's name is actually Darren Shan. This must have happened to him. Or, you know, what if it did or something? Yeah, it totally fits into that child's imagination of this story's happening to me or do my animals come alive when I'm not looking at them? (laughs) Do my animals come alive? (laughs) Do you have dead animals? animals? (laughs) No, no, stuffed animals, you know, like your Barbies. (laughs) Sorry, I had to, you know. That's okay. No, no, I never yeah. <laughs> did the pet cemetery thing of. Mm-mm. Anyways, the movies did not do the books justice, in my opinion. Though they did have a little bit of some of the same elements as you know, they had the first two novels basically are put into the movie. And you know, since this was published in two thousand, and it does have a movie, like I've said in the past, I'll let the spoiling commence. It's fair game. It's been 20 (laughs) years. Let's spoil the hell out of it. In the beginning, we are briefly introduced to the character of 12-year-old Darren Shan, who promptly informs us this is not his real name, but this is his real story. So other names of people have been changed as well, per Darren. Sure. Okay, sure. I'll, I'll, you know... (laughs) I'll bet that this, you know, doesn't take place in the good old U.S. of A. He tries to say that, you know, it could take place anywhere in the world. I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's going to be taking place in the U.S. of A. I'm going to watch out for anything that seems European, non, you know, American (laughs) typical behavior because it's it's there. I know. So we start with an anecdote about Darren's love for spiders. He's always been scared of them, but he thrives on that fear and it serves as like a borderline obsession. Like an adrenaline junkie almost, I guess. He's so obsessed that his parents once bought him a tarantula and he treasured it until he accidentally mimicked a cartoon that he saw and sucked it up in a vacuum and just like ripped the damn thing apart. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. That's the notes that I took, the first thing, it's like spiders. Creepy. 
Why does it always have to be spiders? Why is it spiders? Why? Why? And it's a big old nope for him spooking himself. Like, it really stuck out to me. Like He's like, I wish it would crawl inside of me and lay eggs. I was like, no, no. No, 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 no. No, thank you. I think we've read scary stories to tell in the dark. No, thanks. <laughs> Mm-mm. So according to Darren, all this information is important. And his story actually starts in the loo. Because of him. during school days, he sometimes gets an upset stomach and his teacher sends him to the restroom. Luckily, nothing gross happens. But he hangs out for a while as the bell rings for the end of class. And then his friend Steve Leonard, a.k.a. Psycho. Um, uh, I agree. I think <laughs> yes. Steve's a jerk. He is, yeah. He comes in to, you know, check on him. And he has this, like, delinquent reputation he starts fights. He's disrespectful, just mischief in general. And he has these fits of rage at random. It seems like Darren's like, oh, he's in one of his rage fits. Got to stay away from him. I'm like, I mean, even the big kids steer clear of him. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he might not be the best influence, but maybe it is good to befriend the quote crazy kid in school. I don't know. It might be a good thing to do, in my opinion. You know, <laughs> no one will mess with you. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Yeah. So Steve coaxes Darren out of the restroom to go play some soccer, a.k.a. football, as I'm sure this is because this version saying soccer in mine. But I mean, we know it's football <laughs> and we know it's which football it is. So on the field are his other best friends, Alan Morris and Tommy Jones. And they walk up to him and they're trash talking each other like sports players do all the time and Alan tries to show this flyer that he found in his brother's room, but Mr. Dalton, their favorite teacher calls them all in and they don't, they don't ever go against Mr. Dalton say, you know, they make sure they come promptly when he, when he calls, he's a nice man, but you know, he can turn on a dime if you cross him. <laughs> That's what it seems like anyway. And unless you're Steve, it seems like for all yes. of Steve's problems, he is the golden child for Mr. Dalton. Mainly because he lets him get away with everything, even the disrespect, blatant disrespect in class. Calling him an idiot savant. (laughs) Exactly. That's just like, wow, man, that's kind of a rude thing to say to a kid, but Steve doesn't really mind, I guess. So, you know, yeah, Darren says that Mr. Dalton handles, knows how to handle Steve. So, but it it kind of seems like Mr. Dalton's one being handled at times. Like during the math class, they take advantage of Mr. Dalton's distracted mind because he's not usually their their mm-hmm. math teacher, and they pass around the flyer. And do you have you um, a copy of what the flyer says? Yes, it was a flyer, an advertising pamphlet for some sort of traveling circus. There was a picture of a wolf's head at the top. The wolf had its mouth open and saliva was dripping from its teeth. At the bottom were pictures of a spider and a snake. They both looked vicious. Just beneath the wolf in big red capital letters were the words Cirque du Freak. Underneath that, in smaller writing, for one week only, Cirque du Freak. C. Sieve and Circe, the twisting twins, the snake boy, the wolf man, Gertha Teeth, Larton Krepsley and his performing spider, Madame Octa, Alexander Ribs, the bearded lady, Hans Hands, Rhombus Two Bellies, the world's fattest man. Beneath all of that was an address where you could buy tickets and find out where the show was playing at right at the bottom, just above the pictures of the snake and spider. Not for the faint-hearted. Some restrictions apply. 
Yeah, that sounds like a cool place. Darren, you know, he's already instantly intrigued. I guess boys I, and probably some girls, but like for me, like spiders and snakes and like I'm way more scared of, of snakes than I am spiders. But yeah, seeing both of those, I'd be like, no, thanks. I'm out. Yeah, especially Somebody, when you don't know. You can have my ticket. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know the regulations or what's going to happen. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be involved in that either because you don't know. But it's I underground. Also, it's kind of had a really active imagination as a kid so like in general just like cre- i was always the kid that they everybody else made fun of because it was like oh you're scared of that and it was like you're damn right i am i don't care <laughs> what you think it's okay meg it'll be all right I You'll slept be okay. with a nightlight for a long long time so i have no qualms <laughs> about admitting it it's one of the perks of getting older you just don't give a fuck well anyway back to the story so Mr. Dalton catches Darren reading this flyer and he is livid. He snatches it up and this is where it goes into his rant about how the con- about the con men that run freak shows by taking advantage of malformed people and sticking them in cages for people to like point at and gawk at and it really disgusts him. I mean he calls them, you know, quote cesspools of evil. I'm like, "Damn. <laughs> wow. That's kind of a bold statement to make to a bunch of 12-year-olds." The kids all agree to appease him. Like, we won't go. Don't worry about it. We won't get into this. But Steve totally locks eyes with Darren and is like, we're going. We're totally going. (laughs) And I'm kind of with them. I, You know, just for that point alone, like, I'd totally just want to go because of that. I know you wouldn't be going with me, but I'd want to go. Freak shows are scary. I don't think I can recall one book, TV show, or movie where a freak show is like, a happy experience. <laughs> oh, gummy bears and roses. <laughs> so later on, Steve convinces Mr. Dalton to give him the flyer to decorate his room with. And Mr. Dalton kind of, he's like, all right, but he cuts out the address <laughs> of the place. So he gives it to him because he's his favorite student. So the four boys study the flyer more and they see it costs like $32 or $23 each. I think 23. Yeah. Yeah, so they brainstorm each, you know, to figure out how they're going to get money. Each of them has just, you know, usually just a few bucks each. Steve says that he, you know, if they pool their money, he'll, quote, borrow from his mom's cash stash to make up the rest. And they all agree to run home and grab their money. That night, Darren waits in anticipation. His parents don't notice his anxiety, but his little sister does, his little sister Annie. After some prodding, he finally tells her about the freak show. And she thinks it sounds cool, but doubts that he will get to go because he's so young. In which he snaps at her, but really quickly apologizes after she cries. Or she starts to cry. I like their whole relationship, like through the book. It's very push and pull, just like a real, you know, sibling relationship. it's, It's push and pull, but it's also, I don't know, kind, compassionate. Like, it's not just one way of, like, him being mean to her. You know, how sometimes it just is with older siblings to their younger siblings you know he's not always like just get out of my way get out of my stuff mind your bit you know and she's not going out of her way to be the annoying kid sister they, they he gets a, a little more sentimental later on yeah with her, but especially. overall like including her i won't jump ahead but when he includes her in certain things you know it's it's true inclusion it's not she didn't really have to whine and wiggle her way in to to be part of the shenanigans 
Well, later he asks his mom if she'd ever been to any freak shows, and she's like, "Ew." <laughs> she gives him this like "ooh" face, and said, "They're like they're illegal, Darren." And why, you know, how would you like to be deformed and stuck in a cage for people to laugh at? I'm like, wow, these parents, like these adults, really do not like the idea of freak shows at all. Even brought up in hypothetical circumstances, they don't like it. So, you know, she's like prodding him for information about why he's asking. And he's just like, oh, you know, uh, nothing. She's like, did you have a nightmare? Because all those horror movies you watch, are you okay? And she's like being all, you know, overbearing mom. In a sudden outburst, he just like yells at her. And, and like that, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a nightmare. Ah! And she just kind of brushes it off. And, you know, you can tell she's upset a little bit. But I mean, I don't understand why he doesn't apologize to his mom for just freaking out on her all of a sudden. And, you know, what's up with his attitude? I think it might be like Steve's influence. He just randomly goes off. His influence and then just being a kid. Like, I don't know. Well, he is 12, so he's kind of getting to that puberty age. Like, I see plenty of that with one of my cousins of just that. You ask him and then they're just like, how dare you? And you're and then the parents just like, what happened? White flag. Now you're having a meltdown. Get out of my face. (laughs) (laughs) So the evening he starts, you know, he plays his card right and he's trying to stay up until 11. He's so excited. He's like, I'm going to try to stay up as late as I can. And you remember those days when you're like, no matter what, you just wanted to stay up for just to stay up, just to be up late. Oh, <laughs> for no reason. Yes. I got to stay oh, up. Oh, yes. Cause that would be back when I was a child, which would have been the same time as you is like, that's when the back TV when I still was a child. Uh, that's when the radio would go off. And so would the TV. Like, I remember listening to the radio until they got to the end this concludes our broadcast day yeah i do remember like at least at least up until the mid 80s when you would see like the american flag to sign off for the night or on tv the eagle yeah and then just the static yeah, yeah. and then you would get the, the color bars <laughs> back when media used to call it a day oh <laughs> uh, that was those were the salad days Whew. so he's staying up till 11 <laughs> Finally drifting off to sleep, thinking about, you know, what the Cirque du Freak has in store. A snake boy, a wolf man, a bearded lady, the performing spider. Ooh, Darren can't wait. So the next morning, for some reason, Steve is a no-show at school. He and Alan and Tommy, they all think, you know, maybe he couldn't get the tickets and or maybe he chickened out, you know. But Darren knows that Steve better than that. He didn't chicken out. But seriously, where the hell is he? <laughs> That would get me, you know, kind of leave me being a little scared for my friend. Like, what happened to him? He went out into this, you know, kind of shady place, you know, in the middle of the night. And it just feels like, you know, like American Horror Story Freak Show type vibes to it in that sense. You know, like what what happened to this kid? Mm-hmm. So they go to class and midday, Steve finally shows up. He apparently forgot that he had a dentist appointment. So at recess, the boys crowd around and, and they find out about the tickets. But Steve plays all coy it's like give me my damn ticket kid <laughs> <laughs> finally he tells them that when they he snuck out to get the tickets mr dalton and the cops were already there roughing up you know one of these a little person that was at the you know the theater that he went to there was a, a bang and a flash and this little person disappeared it's really weird it's kind of you know so he's watching all this and after you know mr dalton the police left steve's like turning around to leave and he finds that little person, this little man standing beside him. You know, he tried to get four tickets, but apparently it was only two per flyer. Like it says it on the flyer, apparently. 
So the little man took his money and he has, you know, just two tickets. Now they have to decide who gets to go. So it's, you know, they moved to Friday after school. They're still trying to debate this. And Darren makes a good point that Steve should be able to go because he put in all the legwork to get the tickets in the first place. He deserved it. He earned a spot. And they all agree to that. Borrowed that money from his mom. (laughs) (laughs) Borrowed. Sure. Like he's ever going to pay it back. And, you know, Alan's like I said, I brought the flyer. And they're like, oh, shut up, Alan. But, you know, Darren says that Steve should get to pick. And, you know, Tommy's like, no, no, no. He's going to pick you. Don't know. That's not fair. So they come up with this, like, this idea Steve does. He he writes, you know, on two couple scraps of paper that are kind of the same size as the ticket. And he wads them up in his hands. And he's going to let them go. And whoever catches the real ticket gets to go. So the wind starts to blow. And for some reason, Darren just feels like I need to close my eyes and just put my hands out there. And at first, you know, so they're like one, two, three, and Steve lets go these tickets and and the wind just carries them. And Darren's just standing there and he feels a piece of paper brushed by his hand, but he's like, no, not yet. And for some reason he knows, close your hand now. And he does. And he just grabs that ticket. It's weird. It's this weird intuitive thing he's got going on, which really isn't explained at all, but it's kind of interesting. I would be interested to read more of the series to see if, like this comes into play any <clears throat> his I know whatever in- intuition is because like we see it there yeah there's something going on with some ESP I don't know so um Darren asks to stay at Steve's Saturday night but he leaves out the part where they're going to go to the freak show of course not a good idea but whatever you know <laughs> what happens to the damn wolfman attacks you or something and you can't tell your parents <laughs> but whatever you know see kids. like this would never have flown in my house because it wouldn't have i wouldn't have been allowed to go to somebody's house where the parent wasn't there or was not cognizant of like what your child is like it would nope mm-mm. physically or mentally present what's going <laughs> on yeah nope. no yeah so he's really too excited about this sure it's exciting but he's you know, he's also angry about the day moving so slowly <laughs> because he's oh, like, I, I want to go to this damn free trip. I think he, he, he snaps at his mom again, you know, when he, you know. Well, I mean, and that makes sense because, like, around that age is, I guess, you kind of start to be exposed to, you know, things that aren't quite so childlike and you don't really necessarily know how you're going to react. And clearly his friend Steve has been more exposed to the horror stuff than he has but parents just know and especially if you're going to spend the night at somebody's house where it's they're it's, they're more like hey just like don't scare the shit out of yourself and yeah and they're being like nice overprotective parents you know i don't want them to i don't want my kid to get scared you know like stuff you know but he's a, he's 12 it's gonna happen <laughs> you know i mean you want to protect him but it's, it's just gonna happen they show up. His dad is the one being overprotective with him. He's like, hey, just make sure you don't stay up too late and watch horror movies or whatever. And his, he's like, God, okay, dad, whatever. I'm not. And he shows up and instantly, instantly, Steve pulls him inside and they just start playing like they're soldiers. You know, just all of a sudden jumping to make-believe. And I'm like, well, that just shows you right there. Hold, they are <laughs> right there. Boom. They instantly go into make-believe and they're playing soldiers and they're crawling up the stairs and stuff. 
So Steve makes this smart-ass throwaway comment to his mom, and Darren acknowledged he doesn't know why they don't get a- along, you know, because Steve's dad left when he was very young, and you would think that he would be really close to his mom, but for some reason he's not. Darren says boys can't talk about you know, stuff. You know, girls can talk about stuff like that, but if you're a boy, quote, you have to talk about computers, soccer, and war, and so on. Parents aren't cool. You know, that's what we call toxic masculinity kids. <laughs> yes, you are allowed to talk about your feelings. <laughs> Just don't be a little whiny little wimp about it. Tell your true feelings, but you know, don't pretty yeah. much. So Steve explains his mom will be leaving in a, little, in a little while and that's when they can sneak out. And that's when Darren asks him, so wait, what if she checks in on us? And Steve's like, <laughs> she wouldn't dare without my permission. And Darren acknowledges that Steve might go all schizo. Like, he just might do that if he presses any further. Because Steve, you know, seems like a loyal friend, but he's fucking crazy otherwise. I don't know. Probably part of that toxic masculinity is internalizing some of his dad leaving, and so we're just mad at everything. Mad at mom. Mad at who knows what, and so you just pop off. (laughs) Meg, psychoanalyst. (laughs) Passing time. They look through monster comics and magazines, and Steve has pretty damn good knowledge of the monster stuff, like what kills a monster and all that kind of stuff. Even though we're getting some of the rules for this universe, I think, I I still take issue with, you know, quote, anything can go through a heart of the vampire as long as it's sharp enough to penetrate it. What? No. No, that's a big no for me. Sorry. Though I do like the bit about, you know, when they're talking about stuffing a vampire's decapitated head with garlic cloves and then throwing it into a river to get rid of the vampire's spirit. It sounds like real folklore, something that came from like really old school, you know, something really old and probably written in a dusty old book somewhere. So they finally sneak out and Steve decides to tell spooky ghost stories on the way, which is like a mood setter, I guess. It doesn't help matters when they when the address they arrive at is like an old abandoned movie theater that's supposedly haunted according to Steve. But Darren's dad says it's bullshit. You know, damn skeptics running around ruining the fun for the rest of us. Screw him. (laughs) They hesitate scared out of their minds, but they decide to go in and see if the show will indeed go on. They walk down a dark, creepy hallway with peeling wallpaper and a single light at the other end. It's really, I can just feel it like the shadows moving around me kind of feeling, you know, as a kid, you're just, Ooh, hearts beating fast. You have butterflies in your stomach. Darren says that it's extra creepy because it's, you know, after 10, it's only two hours till midnight. Woo. Okay. This is a good representation of like a tween's thought process. (laughs) He's really focused on how late he's up and how late he's out. Yeah. They find a door to a balcony where apparently this is why it's haunted. Some kid supposedly fell off the balcony when the theater was open, but they don't dare go up there. Suddenly a a deep voice from behind them just pops up and they turn to see who it is. And they see the quote tallest man in the world staring down at them. This is where it starts to get a bit spooky to me. He reveals himself to be Mr. Tall, which is a convenient name. He asks them why they are there, and then he asks for their tickets when they say they're there for the Cirque du Freak. Steve shows his tickets, and Mr. Tall says, how about you, Darren? And they both like are silently freaking out, and I would probably piss myself. 
I mean, how did this guy know my name, right? So Mr. Tall says, he knows a lot of things, including everything about them, where they live, if they like their parents, and how Darren won his ticket. I'm like, yeah. what? Like, if I'd had the fortitude to get up to, through everything, as soon as all of that, I would have been like, now I'm out. I am out. They know my uh, name. Okay, I think they this know- is a sign. I don't know how you know things about me, but I'm out. Nope. Nope, we're leaving. It's time to go. <laughs> he doesn't go in any further because the show is about to start. Um, he walks ahead of them, but when they turn the corner, he's like a completely different outfit taking pic- you know, taking tickets. It's like he just changed all of a sudden magically Darren asks if there's an usher with a flashlight. And then Mr. Tall, you know, calls him a baby who needs a babysitter. Like, well, shit, it's a, he's a kid. <laughs> I mean, you just acknowledge this. Darren snaps back at him before they go in, which he's like snapping at people left and right. You better watch out. or He's going to write a check. His ass can't catch. Um, they are about, you know, they're like the last two to arrive. And there's like the last two seats that are kind of near the front you know, everybody's there's like different ages and different classes and different races. They're all, you know, they're like the youngest one there though. You know, trumpets begin to blow for a long time. They get louder and louder as the lights go out one by one until it's pitch black darkness. A green light comes up on the stage and they wheel out a cage. The cover comes off to reveal the Wolfman. The audience is excited, but it's terrified at the same time. This would freak me out if it was an actual wolfman sitting up on stage. I don't care if there's a cage. You don't know what's about to happen. Mr. Tall comes out and announces the show has been around for over 500 years. So they're not fake. There's no masks or tricks. The dangerous acts are actually dangerous. He tells anyone who wishes to leave, they should do it now. Then he leaves the stage and two ladies come out to release the wolfman from his cage. So when they do this, I mean, this would freak me out already, but one of them hypnotizes him while the other one explains they must all keep quiet so they won't relate, you know, waking him up out of his trance. They walk him through the crowd and Steve reaches out and feels his fur and it's like a, like a hedgehog spiky and, but it smells like burnt rubber, which is kind of weird. I'm like, ooh. So suddenly came, you know, there's a loud bang from somewhere and the wolfman wakes up and just starts to freak out. And this woman runs screaming and the wolfman just jumps on top of her and pins her down and he just bites her fucking hand off. This got violent so quick. (laughs) And she's like, "Ah!" she's like, oh my God, my hand, my hand. Just blood gushing out of this arm. Just, Yes. I mean, come on. You see that going on. That's I'm definitely leaving after that. I don't know. You're kind of like in a catch-22. It's like they've told you not to make any noise or sudden movements, and that happens. It's kind of one of those where you're like, all right, it's been a distraction, but it's not a big enough distraction for like me to take off. Just- yeah, and especially what comes out next. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Tall comes out, and he like subdues this wolf man. With no problem. He's like this huge guy and he just whispers something in his ear and it just makes him fall asleep. And then some of these little people in blue hooded robes come out. You what? It's like, if you go to sleep, you can have a hot dog. (laughs) Like some of these little people in these blue hooded robes come out and Mr. Tall whispers to this woman and she chills while 
the the little people like start working on her arm that this wolfman just bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, the hand back to the it's wrist. It's magically healed with some. Yeah, I know. They just like magically heal it with a few stitches. It's really weird, and it just works perfectly. So Mr. Tall says she is lucky, as he said earlier, it's a dangerous show, and he cannot guarantee anybody's safety. And there's like this one funny part where the, like her husband's getting all mad at Mr. Tall, and he's like, "Um, sir, your ass got up and ran in the opposite direction. You did not stay to even try to <laughs> help sorry. your wife. Sit sir, your ass down. You were not even around here a moment ago. So, like, would you like to explain what you were doing?" He like shuts up so fast. <laughs> I know. I, lo- I yeah. I'm, I was like, I love that part. I'm just gonna shut my shut up right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mr. Tall asks again. If anybody wants to leave, if you can't handle it, go for it. Leave. Darren wants to, but he doesn't want to look like a wimp in front of Steve. So so these little robe people, they clean all the blood off the floor. And then Alexander Ribs takes the stage. As you can guess from his name, he's all skin and bone, literally. He's a contortionist. He, he's doing it in ways a basic contortionist can't do it. It's really weird. He like he freaking twists around like a, a, a kid's straw, all loopy and everything. Like it, yeah, it just seems really surreal sounding. Look, I don't, you know, I'd be scared to see this. So the next one is Remus Two Bellies, and yes, he really has two bellies. He's huge, like disgustingly big. It seems he eats an entire table of food in like less than five minutes, like it's Thanksgiving or a Christmas meal. Like that, that's how much food it is. It's a pretty big meal. Yeah, I made a note. I was like, is it really eating? Is he just sucking the food down? Because like, he has that thing where he's like, just that's all guess it how right long down. it's going to take me to eat this food. And then the stuff with all of the the nuts and bolts and forks and stuff when he's just like shaking his belly. It's like... Yeah, that was kind of gross. I'm like, ooh. He's like, don't try this at home. And then he like, he drops all these like chains and forks and spoons and stuff. And he just, it's all like, and then he brings it, he like coughs it back up. And it's all wrapped around each other and, and twisted. Like he made this weird sculpture in his stomach. Like, this is disgusting. How much acid is on that? Ooh. Like, uh, how the hell do you, you know, how do you have hands in your stomach? I don't get it. So the little blue robed people start selling knickknacks, you know, like a little intermission. And Steve decides to play dumb, asking about, you know, how much are they? How much are these? And they're not answering. I get that he's curious, but if you don't know what these little things are, like, don't antagonize him like a little shithead. Just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, I did. It felt, it's one of those things where it's like, you really aren't sincere. Like, there's probably a better way. You could just be like, hey, could you answer a question for me? Like, being direct about it versus trying to trick Coke them somebody into doing th- Yeah. I put that as one of my things that was like you're a jerk steve trying to he's an oh, asshole i can't read i could could you tell me what this is and they're just like Mm-mm, no we know sorry we saw you with that they're just like shake their little heads he can't see their faces we can't see anything about them we just know these little people in these little blue robes but that would be curious too i guess so next up on the stage is trusca she's the bearded lady but it kind of works a little differently than a normal bearded lady she comes out on stage as smooth skinned, beautiful woman. But then she basically like pushes her hair out. Basically like Play-Doh. That's what kind of think of like a Play-Doh station where you put the little thing in the hair came mm-hmm. out, you know, that's what I kind of think of. And it, and, you know, she pushes it out until it like reaches her feet. Like that's how much hair she pushes out of her face. 
I mean, wouldn't that be helpful if you needed an instant disguise? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Mr. Tall offers anyone a solid bar of gold if they can cut any of her hairs with their own pair of scissors. If you got your own scissors, bring them up here. We're going to try to cut this. And almost everybody who has anything, you know, like a knife or scissors, whatever, they, any of the audience, they come up and try. And of course, even though it's very soft feeling to the touch, it cannot be cut. She then stands in the middle of the stage and basically just like sucks it back into her face, which is really weird to me. And I want to be like, where are you keeping that in your body? I know. Where does it go? Like she's just all root inside. <laughs> I just think, I know it's really kind of gross, but like in the movie, it's Selma Hayek and she cuts it off. She can grow it out really fast, but she just cuts it off. So I thought that was a little more understandable, you know, but whatever. It is a really cool thing to be able to do, though. You know, push your hair out, pull out. You know, that's kind of neat. Like I said, instant disguise. I'd be like, does that work on all of the hair on your body or just your beard? Like, is that how you give yourself a different hairstyle? That'd be really awesome. That'd be cool if you could change the color, too. Yes. So, Adam, excuse me. After Truska leaves the stage, we get Han's hands. And he's basically another contortionist that walks on his hands because his dad didn't have any arm or didn't have any legs. So he kind of learned to walk on his hands like his dad did, which is kind of weird. So he challenges some guys uh, you know, in the audience to a race. But of course, he's really fast. And that's his freak show ability. Supposedly, he can run like 100 yards in eight seconds. And that's pretty impressive for anybody. Running on your hands or your feet. Yeah. Finally, we get to the reason there's a book in the first place. Mr. Tall, again, warns that the upcoming act can be very dangerous when he announces Mr. Krepsley and Madame Okta. Bum, 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 bum. Dun, dun, dun. So here's the description of this from the book. The lights went down low and a creepy looking man walked onto the stage. He was tall and thin and with very white skin and only a small crop of orange hair on the top of his head he had a large scar running down his left cheek it reached to his lips and made it look like his mouth was stretched up the side of his face he was dressed in dark red clothes and carried a small wooden cage which he put on a table when he was set he turned and faced us he bowed and smiled he looked even scarier when he smiled like a crazy clown in a horror movie i once saw so Darren is getting distracted while Mr. Krepsley is talking during his opening speech because he notices something as soon as Krepsley walks out. Steve gasped out of nowhere and looks shocked as hell. And it's very un-Steve-like. <laughs> so Krepsley brings out this cage and it's Madame Octa, a green, purple, and red tarantula that he says is deadly poisonous. Darren is terrified but instantly intrigued. The hooded little people bring out a goat on the stage. This is not, this can't be good. This can't be good for this goat. Yeah, no. No. So Krepsley brings out a little flute and starts to control Madame Octa with it, having her first bite the goat to paralyze it, just showing off and harming animals like it's nothing, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Peter would have a field day with this freak show. So he gets Madame Octa to bite the goat again, this time killing the goat. And that just upsets me, but we'll keep going. Poor goat. I know. Like, it could be one thing if you were, like, going to kill it and, like, I don't know. It's like the it goat up. in Jurassic Park. 
Well, but yeah, I mean, that gets eaten. Like, it's not just like the T Rex isn't just like I thumped it, it with my used. tail. It's dead, and it's a waste. Like this is just you. You killed the goat to show it. <laughs> the T Rex. I just flicked it with my this. tail. <laughs> I'm not gonna eat that. I'm gonna no, I'm thump that it shit. with my tail. <laughs> Fucking goat. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't like she went and was like, "Oh, I'm gonna eat this animal's blood," or wrap it up and save it for later, like spiders do. Nope. She just was like, nope. look at me. Paralyzed and dead. Yep. Yeah. Then what do I have to, I'm being told to do. So some people in the audience get scared and jump up, and Mr. Krepsley has to remind them, hey, chill the fuck out. <laughs> the spider could go off after somebody, so chill out. We don't out. want a repeat of what happened with the Wolfman people. No, we don't. Remain in your seats. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times <laughs> so he backs up madame octa with his flute and continues he does a lot of little tricks with her including having her in his mouth at one point spinning a spider's web that ends up that he ends up eating oh no sir i don't care what you say spider webs are not a delicacy and you do not put a damn spider in your mouth to do this oh no no Ugh. i agree of course, Darren is obsessed with the spider now. He turns to Steve, who still looks alarmed, and asks, you know, what's up? And Steve gets all vague and saying he like he hopes Krepsley doesn't know that Steve knows about him or that they might not be able to make it out of there alive or something. It's weird. So it goes into intermission, a small one, another one. And Steve won't say much. And Darren's spending all his cash on Madame Octa novelties. Like he, you know... He buys like these little spiderweb, little candies and little rubber Madame Octas. It's, you know, the kid Is so it wishes. Web candy, were... like a cotton candy type thing. Yeah, I think so. That's what it sounds like, kind of. So the next act starts and it's Gertha Teeth. And as you can guess, she's got really strong teeth that she can bite through most anything and they can't be broken. They do this like crazy experiment with a sledgehammer and a pick. Like, like they like slam it down on her face. I really hope no kids have tried any of this. So please don't try any of this. If your kids are listening, don't let them try this. Then after that, we get the twisting twins and they're more contortionists and they sound cool. Like they sound like a kind of a cool act for like America's got talent or Britain's got talent or whatever, but maybe not like Cirque du Freak cool. Like they don't sound like they should be in the Cirque du Freak. They just don't sound like, you know, freakish enough. I don't know. Yeah. Other than that, they're twins. I don't know. So then the show is over, I guess. Like that was a lackluster ending and everyone's starting to get up to leave. And as they're leaving, Steve spots something in the balcony above them. And Darren looks up to see this gigantic snake slithering down towards the crowd. See, and people I would have just been start going to... the opposite way. Cause I don't do snakes. Well, you'd be like everybody else. Cause everybody else is freaking out and losing their shit. And it looks like, to me, I'm thinking like a Black Friday sale. Like people just going nuts and going everywhere, trampling over each other. Suddenly, there's like a spotlight hits the snake and it just freezes. And then like a 14 or 15 year old boy comes out with a white in a white robe and he's hissing. And he has long yellow hair and narrow eyes with slit pupils like a snake. And I'm instantly thinking of like a cooler young Voldemort. <laughs> That's what I yes. think of with green skin, like a cooler version. So he's hissing 
And then he drops the robe to reveal his scaly creature from the Black Lagoon type of body. He's got, you know, he lies down and he kind of slithers over to the snake and subdues it and sticks its head in, in the snake's mouth. Like, why would you do this? I don't like people to do this with lions. I don't like people <laughs> to do it with alligators. Stop putting your head in animal mouths, people. Look at me. It's fine. Snap. Yeah. So Mr. Tall comes out and he's like, all right, that was really the end. That We just kind of did that little last encore performance for you. So, yeah, get the hell out of here. So, you know, they all start to leave, but Steve tells Darren, you know, go on home. I'm, you know, going back and I'm going to stick around here for, you know, for a little while. For, for some reason, he won't tell him what's up. Like, what is up, Steve? You sound like a sketchy drug user looking for a fix. You know, he's like, you know, I'm just going to hang around here for a little while. And, you know, quit yelling at your friend to leave you. It's really weird. So Darren starts to leave but quickly talks himself out of it. He turns around and ends up going up to this, to the old balcony that they saw earlier. Mm-hmm. And when he gets up there, he's waiting in, in the dark until he sees Steve run across the stage down below all frantic. And a voice from above yells, are you looking for me? And a figure like drops down on the stage and like a rolling ball landing. And it sounds pretty graceful, actually. I'm like, well, it's pretty cool. And it's, it's Larton Kretzley. And he wants to know why Steve gasped when he came out on the, on do his act earlier. He noticed. He noticed Steve went, <gasps> and Steve tells him, I know who you are. And he's like, I'm Larton Krepsley. And Steve's like, no, no, no. You're Ver Horston, a vampire. Dun, dun, dun. Tune in next week. No. Krepsley instantly drops the facade and he admits, you know, Steve, right. He's right about him. And he wants to know, who sent Steve? Like, how did you know? Who sent you? Steve's like, no one, dude. I just saw you in a monster magazine I have. It had like a picture of Krepsley and his former fiance, who later dumped him when she found out he was a vampire. From 1903. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, so Steve gets all bold and blackmails Krepsley, saying that he told Darren everything. And if he turns up missing, that means the police will come, you know, looking for him and they'll be involved. And you don't want that. I'm like, smart kid, but maybe just a little too smart for your own good. Like, because you're he's borderline schizo anyway, after all, but you're kind of playing with fire. Krepsley wants to know what Steve wants. And of course, Steve wants to become a vampire. Why wouldn't you? You meet a real vampire, you ask to become a vampire. At least when it's not one of these weird, rabid ones. You know, you ask to become a vampire. You gotta do it. Krepsley immediately says no, because some, saying something about some vampire generals or something is going to, you know, I don't know. Saying something like he's, they're going to have his head. Oh, it's because he can't turn a child into a vampire. Right. It seems to be pretty consistent in like all mythologies is they're like, no, you, you don't turn a child. Exactly. Exactly. Steve knows this and he's like, you know, you can just make me to a half vampire until I'm of age and then you can turn me into a full vampire. You know, Krepsley's kind of considering this and he starts to grill him saying, you know, how much it actually sucks to be a vampire. He even says that they don't actually live forever, just longer than most humans. And Steve doesn't care. He wants this for some weird, sinister passion of his. Krepsley asks if you know he'll miss his mother. And Steve says she doesn't love him, which is not true, you little shit. <laughs> Your mom loves you. You're just an asshole to her. He also says he'd miss his friends, but Steve says he cares more about being a vampire than his friends, including Darren. I'm like... Guess we're hearing Steve's true feelings, and it's not looking good for their friendship. 
like automatically I'd be like, holy shit, foreshadowing. Exactly. So finally, Krepsley says, "All right, I'm gonna have to test your blood." And Darren's view is obstructed, so he doesn't see how this happens. But he, you know, tests his he tests his blood, he tastes it, and he's like, and he starts spitting it out, and he's like, "No, dude, I'm sorry, you have bad blood." And that means you you're evil. You are evil. E V I L. That's capital E V I L. Evil. And I could have told you that <laughs> from moment one that we met Steve. He was not right in the head. He says vampires respect life, but Steve is actually a killer by nature. It would not be a good vampire. Of course, Steve gets all pissed off and vows that he will become a vampire hunter one day. And just, just so he could come back and kill Verhorsten and he'll rue the day. And then he kind of comically runs out with us like my mani- maniacal laugh. Like, maniacal laugh. Maniacal, maniacal laugh. Oh, the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> Darren hangs back for a minute, but he decides I'm not going to go back to crazy Steve's house. I'm going to go home. <laughs> I don't want to deal I mean, with this. Yeah. Kid. Like, I don't know if I, I want to sleep next to you. Cause a, you're like ready to just forget all your friends. B you want to be a vampire. And then C he tells, you, no, you're like, well, I'm just going to come back and kill you later. I know it's like, home, wow. In my own bed. Rethink my Turn relationships. Stop overlooking. Consider my, consider my relationships and my li- where my life is heading. Mm-hmm. Is this where I want my life to be headed at 12? No. Yeah. He gets home and he tells his parents that they, you know, he and Steve just had an argument, you know, mainly because of the shady shit that he just heard Steve say to Krebsley. His parents ground him and then reduce his allowance because he walked home in the middle of the night. And I'm like, okay, I get the grounding, but why you got to fuck with the kid's money? You know, just, I mean, that's a bit harsh considering he's, he's alive and well. Like, don't give him, like, extra punishment on top of that. Like, you get multiple consequences. Oh, my God. Oh, Dustin, let me introduce you to my childhood. <laughs> well, I've never been grounded. That's why. I didn't do anything. But I watched my brother. My brother got all the punishment, and I was like, I'm not doing that. I thoroughly <laughs> believe that about your brother. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Anyway, Darren's, you know, avoiding Steve like the plague. He doesn't want to talk to him on the phone when he calls and because he, you know, Steve is bound to ask what, why he went home. And instead he just spends the day hanging out with his sister, Annie and telling her about the freak show. And he's like obsessing over Krepsley and Madame Octa all Sunday, all that next day, wishing that he had a spider just like her. So Monday rolls around and Darren sees Steve at school. And he just comes up with a lie and says that he got lost on the way home and just and just ended up back at home. He didn't you know, on his way to Steve's. He ended up just back at home. And Steve seems to buy it at first, but there's a you know a little bit of a side eye he gives Darren. And you're like, oh, he's kind of he's not really believing it. And Darren is about done with Steve. Like he's just already like I don't like this kid anymore. Not only is the kid crazy, but if he and Krepsley, if he said if Krepsley was truthful, Steve is evil. And I'm like, yeah, maybe don't hang out with him anymore. <laughs> maybe someone calls somebody evil. Don't hang out with them anymore. So they tell their friends, Alan and Tommy, all about the Cirque du Freak, leaving out the vampire details. And when they get to the part about Bademokta, Steve explains that he thinks the flutes they used to control her weren't magic. They were used to get her attention. And Steve thinks they used to telepathy to control her. So, of course, this makes Darren crazy excited because he was like, how do we control her? And it just seems like anyone with a brain can control the spider as long as they have that flute, too. 
And he starts to brainstorm like ways that he can get Madam Octa. He has got to have her. And the first thought would be to blackmail Mr. Krebsley. Bad idea. Don't fuck with vampires. Don't do it. And then he just resolves that if he wants the spider, he's just going to have to sneak in and take her. I'm just going to have to do it myself. Yes, I'm going to ask my parents for the spider. I'll, I'll get it myself. <laughs> so Darren sets his alarm really early for the you know that coming Tuesday, the day he's decided would be the best day to steal Madame Octa. His reasoning's kind of shit, but whatever, we'll go with it. He takes every precaution to sneak out of the house. He even pees and doesn't flush the toilet so as not to wake anybody. And when he gets to the theater, he sneaks in and carefully walks through the maze of corridors and he finds himself down in the basement because, you know, vampires like basements, right? And then he nearly wakes up the wolfman and the snake boy who sleeps with his eyes open. I know snakes do this, I guess, but it's creepy as hell. Anybody who sleeps with their eyes open, creepy. Dogs do. I know my puggle does and Edward's pug does. They'll just be like, and their eyes open and I'm like, that is so terrifying. It is. He finally spots Krebsley's coffin on the other end of the cellar. Next to it, of course, was Madame Octa's cage. And Darren is extremely terrified of the spider. Even though he wants her, he is extremely terrified of her. But he's like, he's just so obsessed. He's insanely obsessed. He hesitates, but he decides to take her anyway. And he leaves this note. <laughs> this note is just, it's, oh my God. Mr. Krebsley, I know who and what you are. I have taken Madame Octa and am keeping her. Do not come looking for her. Do not come back to this town. If you do, I will tell everyone that you are a vampire and you will be hunted down and killed. I am not Steve. Steve knows nothing about this. I will take good care of the spider. <laughs> good idea. Threaten a vampire and mention your friend's name. <laughs> that couldn't possibly hurt your situation. I, I'm not this person. I know this person, though. But don't look at this person. <laughs> I don't live at this address. Don't come oh. looking for me here. <laughs> oh no, I've said too much. <laughs> My favorite color is blue. Oh no. <sighs> he gets back home before he has to pretend to wake up and get ready for school. So he hides Madame Octa in a, under a pile of clothes in his closet and heads to class. All day, he eagerly anticipates coming home to hang out with the spider. So when he finally does get home, he notices that she's still not moving. And now he's like, I have to feed her. So he starts recording everything in his journal about Madame Octa, what Krebsley said about her and the food she seems to respond to when he gets like bugs and stuff out of the garden. And it's actually kind of smart thinking. I mean, you know. Well, and he does have experience with that because he's had a, a pet spider before. So and he, and he does do some additional research to make sure. So he is a little bit more responsible probably than most 12-year-olds with a pet. <laughs> well, he's just obsessed with it. He better be. He stole it. <laughs> you best take damn good care of that spider. You stole it. Exactly. So Wednesday comes back around, and the Cirque du Freak group is gone. They have left the theater, and Darren is relieved that he doesn't have to sleep with a cross anymore to ward off Martin Krepsley. I'd say you're counting your chickens before they hatch, kid. I just... <laughs> Just, you know, maybe he makes a good point that maybe Krepsley is telepathically linked to Okta and already knows where she is. And I'd say, yeah, that's probably a major possibility, considering how much these people seem to know. He gets Madame Okta acclimated to her new surroundings. He talks to her a lot. She seems to be paying attention to like really she's 
like looking at him and it's kind of weird but she seems to understand i guess intuitive and intelligent spider. yeah thank you i like my spiders dumb <laughs> i like my spiders dumb. i don't want them thinking what the you know planning and plotting no exactly that Saturday, Darren is alone in the house and decides that this would be the best time to let a poisonous spider out of her cage to play with her. Okay. When you're all alone and no one can save you. I know. You. He gets the flute ready, but he's nervous. When, I don't understand why he couldn't have practiced the flute part with her in the cage first. Like He could have made her do things in the cage to make sure it worked. Twelve-year-olds don't think clearly. I know. Point in fact, I would have thought that. Stole. I would have thought that. I know. Would you I have stolen the spider to start with? No. No, I wouldn't have done that. But if I had one in my possession, I would have thought this. Like, all right, I'm not taking that damn thing out. <laughs> I will practice this and see. Does it follow me in the cage? Good, good, good. Exactly. He lets. I mean, he opens up the cage, and just as he's about to play, the damn spider just leaps for his face. I'm like, ah! Aha! Yeah. No. No. Thank you. Uh-huh, Luckily, she misses and hits the flute instead. And he's like, he wakes up out of his fear and he's like, starts to play. He's like, and starts, you know, it takes him a few minutes, but he finally gets her to listen to his mind. And he has her doing tricks in no time. Like, he's just thinking, all right, go over here, do this, go over here and do that. And she's listening as long as he's playing the flute. So over the next few days, he keeps, you know, Madam Octa hidden and keeps playing with her, her you know, and, and training with her. His mom hears the flute at one point and he just lies and says he's taken it up again since he quit when he was six. Of course, she's beaming, but he's like, I, just leave me alone. If you hear me playing, don't come in. Leave me alone. I'm practicing. I want to get better. This sounds like a metaphor for masturbation in a way. <laughs> um, my flute's playing. Uh, don't come in here. <laughs> playing my flute. My skin uh, playing flute. my flute. My skin flute. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know why you're taking all those hot showers. You're not fooling anyone. <laughs> Darren. Darren Shan. <laughs> <laughs> the next week at school, Darren's grades improve and he's like kicking ass on the soccer field. And, you know, they do say that music does help your grades. It helps improve your memory and whatnot. So that may, you know, he's been playing the flute. Maybe it's helping. I don't know. Uh, that Friday, he finally gets Madame Octo to crawl all over him, even on his face. No, sir. No, no. Heebie jeebies all over. No. Uh-uh. He's on top of the world, which means a big fall may be coming, I'm assuming. <laughs> Once everything's great and going great and we're only midway through the book, yeah, yeah, yeah. something bad's about to happen. It's not going to keep going uphill. This is <laughs> yeah, We're not just going to, no. Steve shows up at his house the next day and wants to know why Darren is avoiding him. Darren, of course, plays dumb, but Steve has it all figured out. Because you're evil. Yes. So Darren must have heard the conversation between him and Krepsley, a.k.a. Verhorsten. After Steve catches him in the lie, Darren admits that he doesn't want to be friends with Steve anymore because Steve is a fucking psychopath who wants to be a vampire and kill people. And, you know, even Krepsley said he was evil. No, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Get the hell away from me. So, yeah, in this reaction to this, Steve just freaks out on Darren. He pushes him down and like sits on his chest saying, Darren, I better take that back. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, you're, you're one of the good guys. Yeah. Take it back or I'm going to smother you. Exactly. So Darren takes it back just to get him off of him. That's a fair and one. Steve ends up breaking down and crying and Darren feels like a piece of shit, which you shouldn't, but whatever. The fact that this kid's crying though, you should be like, wow, what's going on? What's the big deal? You know, what's really working on in this kid's head? He comforts his friend 
and lets him in on a secret to cheer him up. Madam Octa. Steve doesn't get it at first, but then he realizes that Darren stole Krepsley's spider. He freaks out. How could Darren be so dumb to steal a vampire spider? So what if it's only been two weeks already and vampires have long memories? They could come back one day and Darren, when Darren's older and get him and his kids and oh my God. So Darren's like, I don't care. I had to have the spider. <laughs> I had to have her. Be like, I understand everything you're saying, but I don't care. Yeah. That you know, made I hear no... what you're saying, but I don't care. I wanted it. I got it. I, I got it. Now I have it. Oh, well. You know, Steve's glad that he's not Darren right now, but he is impressed that his usually cowardly friend actually did something this dangerous. So Darren starts to play with Octa, showing Steve the tricks he's learned. And when he gets the spider to crawl on Steve, it's really impressive. All is fun and games until Darren's little sister, Annie, barges into the room, sees the spider, and screams her ass off. This distracts Darren's link to Octa and... Madam Octa ends up biting Steve. Oh shit, why didn't Darren lock the fucking door? <laughs> why didn't you do that, kid? So, Steve slips into paralysis, and Darren hurriedly, hurriedly gets Madam Octa back into her cage, all the while Annie is still screaming her ass off. Shut that girl up, Darren. Crap. <laughs> Somebody's gonna come up and see what's going on. Think. Ugh. Annie finally shuts up. And Darren explains that Steve is alive. He's just paralyzed. Now, what the fuck is he going to do? Like, how do you explain random paralysis away? He puts Madam Octa back in her cage and tries to move Steve around, thinking it would be the best, you know, help maybe move the poison, maybe work it out of the system. Let me get that that poison good circulated in your system. (laughs) Doesn't work. Spoiler alert. Doesn't work. You know, so they keep waiting for him to, to start moving, but he doesn't. So Darren agrees to go and tell their mother, but ask Annie to keep her mouth shut about the spider. They bond over a nice little cry and she leaves, but not before saying that if doctors or they can't find a way to cure Steve, she's spilling the beans on everything, which, you know, is actually what they should do from the get go. But, you know, kids be dumb, whatever. Darren opens his window to make it look like some random spider or insect came in that way and attacked Steve. Then he calls for his mom. They end up following the ambulance to the hospital because no one can get a hold of Steve's mother. Darren's mom keeps speculating what could have happened. Annie nearly spills the beans saying that it could have been a snake or a spider bite, but mom disagrees. She thinks he must have eaten something or even had a heart attack, which in my opinion is a big leap. (laughs) Even if this does happen, has happened to other kids before, it's, it's the first place I would go. Time passes at the hospital and Darren is getting worried. It doesn't help that Annie's like, what if he dies, Darren? Like, what if he dies? Like, (laughs) what are you going to do when he dies, Darren? How does that make you feel? (laughs) I mean, this little girl's a master at guilt trips. (laughs) He snaps at her, but, you know, she, he considers coming clean. Then Mrs. Leonard, Steve's mom, finally shows up looking all distraught. She makes a beeline for Darren. She grabs him and starts shaking him like, what did you do to my son? Did you kill my son? I'm like, I understand that she's grieving, but Darren's parents should have instantly yanked her ass away from their child. Instantly. The dad just says, stop it. (laughs) But that's it. (laughs) He's like, stop it. Stop doing that. Don't shake my child. She eventually resolves to sobbing on the floor. 
and Darren's mom tells him it's not his fault. Yes, bitch. Yes, it is. It's all his fault, and he should feel shitty for the shenanigans he's been up to. You don't know. <laughs> he he should feel shitty. I mean, I guess yes, it's his fault. I was gonna say. I mean, he yeah. went and stole the damn spider. All of this is his fault. Yeah, and he didn't lock his door. Mm-hmm. But it's Steve, so I mean, are we really sad that the spider bit jerk Steve? No, no, no. Take that, Steve. <laughs> they stay at the hospital a bit longer. And Darren keeps trying to muster the courage to tell everyone, anyone, about Madame Octa. But he doubts they will believe him. Um, your sister can back up your story. Just, I mean... You know, I know your kids, but your sister can back up your story. Even if they don't believe you for now, just be like, wait, wait, let's go home. I will show you my spider. Ta-da! Exactly. When he gets home, he gets really angry at Madame Octa. And I don't like what he does here, but he blames her for everything that happened. When in actuality, it was your fault, you little shithead. Don't blame the creature in the cage. He ends up abusing the spider by shaking the cage and tossing it around the room. And he ends up tossing it out the window, which he immediately regrets because he could kill her. So, you know, and she could be a cure for a possible cure for Steve could be in her an antidote. And he just threw it away. He goes to look where it landed and then sees Larton Krepsley catch Madame Octa in midair and look at, at him from the yard below with a wide grin, like a creepy stalker vampire. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> he doesn't do anything at all. He just takes the spider and leaves. Yes, he's creepy as hell. This makes Darren paranoid that he's going to come back. So he doesn't sleep at all that night. I guess I'd be a bit paranoid too after stealing something from a powerful being and then finding out that he knew where it was the whole damn time, not to mention he knows where I live. Yeah, but I feel like that would have been a good, at some point, explaining some of the mythology. Like, most vampire mythologies, they have to be invited in. So, like, I feel like he and his friends, like, I get you're scared, but as long as there's no one there to invite the vampire in, you're safe. Well, this sounds like Darren doesn't know anything about any mythologies or whatever, because he's not allowed to watch the horror movies, and he has to go to his friend well, for the information. Well, whole conversation... When they're looking through this stuff at Steve's house before they go to the freak show where he's asking him about, is this true for vampires? Is that true for werewolves? So, but they don't ever cover that one. Well, I mean, now that Madame Octa's gone, he can't tell the truth. There's no proof now. He can't say anything. Like, how's he going to gonna be like, where's the spider you had, supposedly? Uh, the vampire came back and took her. Like, and he saw it. Yeah, but still. To make matters worse, Dad spoke to Mom, and Steve still hasn't recovered. Annie asks if Steve will die, and Dad says, yep. <laughs> yep. I'm like, damn. I mean, it's not the time to give up the optimism, dude. Your kids are looking to you for hope, and you're like, oh, he's probably going to die if they don't find him a cure. He's going to yeah, die. Aaron's character's even like, I appreciate that about Dad. He didn't sugarcoat shit for us. He was straight up. He was like, yep. I understand, but for the little girl, at least, like... <laughs> You can do that with Darren. She, he's older. Like the little one. Maybe. We'll see what happens. Don't don't freak her out. Come on. Maybe. Depends on if there's She knows what's coming. Just, she knows. You don't have to really put it in, you know. So at the hospital, it seems Steve has a lot of support. Tons of flowers and chocolates and everything. And Darren's mom says that they sent his blood samples out to foreign hospitals to figure out what this poison is. The kid breaks down and starts sobbing a confession to his mom. Of course, 
she doesn't really pay attention to what he's saying. Like you're like, I got, a, I met a vampire and, and there was a spider and I wanted the, the spider and I took it home and it bit Steve and now he's in this coma. Probably She's like, uh huh, like, that's right, okay. Uh-huh. Just let it all there, out, there. whatever. I hear it's a bad dream. <laughs> no, mom, it actually happened. Shh, there, there. <laughs> the whole family heads home after more people arrive to check on Steve. And poor Darren's mom hasn't had any sleep. She seems like a really good woman. Like She just seems like a good person. Like She really took charge. And she was like, Steve is my kid right now, and I'm going to take care of him. That's, that's how she acted, you know? So, anyways, they get home, and Darren decides he has to find Larkin Krepsley, and he has to get him to help. He will sneak out after dark to go find him, even if it means he never comes back. So Darren has to wait until very late until he can sneak out. His dad has company over and and that's when his mom gets him from work and he has to wait till his parents have finished their tea and gone to bed. Um, Right here. For me, this automatically screams, this kid's in the UK <laughs> having their tea because most Americans, I don't care what you say, most Americans are not the biggest hot tea drinkers. Not saying that they aren't out there, but we're not like the Brits in this sense. We tend to drink coffee day or night. Would you agree with that, Meg? For the yeah, most part. I did, and especially taking into consideration when the book was written, yes. I would say it's probably more likely now that tea kind of made a, a resurgent in the last few years. Of, oh, yeah, definitely. Of, like, With the all these herbals. And, and the, yeah. But it just felt like, yeah, this is totally... But 20 yeah. years ago, yeah, that's definitely, like, 20 years ago, it was Folgers in your cup. <laughs> anyway... Armed with his mother's cross and his dad's random bottle of holy water, which is a weird thing for his, uh, apparently a pen pal sent it to his dad. It's a weird thing to send to somebody. Random holy water. He heads for um, the movie theater where the Cirque was performing. And he explains, just like the day he grabbed the ticket in the contest to see who'd go to the show, he just knows. He just knows that Larton Krepsley will be at that theater. It was Even though they left, he just knows he's going to be there. Exactly. He makes his way down to the cellar with his flashlight. And I just know, I know it said originally torchlight in the original European version of this book. I know it said torchlight. He finds the basement drenched in candlelight and Mr. Krepsley there just waiting for him, smiling. What took you so long? Yep. So Krepsley explains that he knew the night Darren stole Madame Octa where she was, but he found it fascinating that Darren would dare steal from a vampire. So he let Darren live out of curiosity. He also, he just like snaps his fingers and instantly holds Darren's cross and drinks the holy water. Well, <laughs> there goes that plan, kid. You're on your own now. <laughs> but, 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 but you can't do that. <laughs> Obviously, the normal stuff is not going to kill this vampire. Well, I mean, but he kind of does all that. He's like, oh, that's supposed to work against you. And Cripsley's just like, you silly child. Mm, this is refreshing. <laughs> So Darren thinks Krepsley is evil just because he's a vampire, which is a bad assessment, kid. Read a book or watch the Vampire Diaries or something. I don't know. Just supernaturals aren't always automatically evil. They have depth nowadays. Jesus. And they can be evil and then become good. Exactly. Just like people. So Darren demands Krepsley help Steve. You better help him. And Krepsley says he has a little bit of this antidote left, but why should he waste it on such a shitty little kid like Steve who said he would come back to kill Krepsley when he was older? Which is a good point. You're going to have to make a deal, Darren. 
So yeah, Krepsley tells Darren he's had a rethink on this whole business of having an assistant, but he doesn't want Steve. He wants someone clever and cunning. He wants Darren. Krepsley will not change his mind on this. Either Darren becomes his assistant or Steve dies. Period. End of discussion. Darren is defeated. He asks Krepsley what this will all entail, and it's pretty straightforward. Basically, Darren will be his eyes during the day, keeping his coffin guarded as he slept and tending to Madame Okta, among other things, I'm sure. In order to do this, Darren will have to become a half-vampire. And Larton is a full-fledged vampire. And they do all age, but only one year per every decade. Being a half-vampire, Darren would age as well, but only one year per every five years. Still stuck as a tween... I would have been doing some bargaining and been like, that's cool. Can we do this blood exchange thing in like a couple of years? Like, let me can get I be a little, little bit older, older where I can pass for maybe an adult. Yeah. Stuck as a tween for five years. No. Yeah. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. I'm sorry, Steve. Uh, the world is probably better off without you. <laughs> sorry. Not doing this. You could still be the assistant, but that's when I'd just be like, I can be your assistant. Can we just wait like four years to do the blood exchange? Like, well, I mean, if he's like, no, we have to do this now, I'm like, well, I'm sorry, can't be his assistant. Sorry, Steve's gonna have to die. <laughs> I want to go through puberty first before becoming a half vampire. So, without any other option, Darren agrees to the terms set before him, but he warns Krepsley that if he ever gets a chance to betray him and f up his life after you know afterwards, he will. The vampire actually likes this about Darren because it shows he's got spunk. And I like spunk. You got moxie, kid. You got moxie. So Krepsley starts the, the sire ritual, making sure Darren has, quote, good blood. He uses his sharp you know, fingernails to stab the tips of his and Darren's nail fingers and holds each of their hands together so that the blood can pass from his body into Darren's body. It takes a few minutes, but that's basically it. It just kind of just circles back through one arm through the other arm kind of thing. So Krepsley licks Darren's fingertips to heal the wounds. Otherwise, Darren would bleed out. I would like to call bullshit where he's like, you'll bleed out from your fingertips. And I'm like, "Mm." how deep did you cut him? (laughs) I do like that the author that the author created this way of siring a vampire instead of the usual bite the neck way, because it could be kind of inappropriate for an adult, an adult vampire to like perform on a kid. It would kind of look, you know yeah, what I mean? It's... Cause I mean, vampires essentially as a, you know, as a monster, they represent sex in general, usually, you know, it's yeah. all about the seduction and whatnot. So doing this with a vampire to not make it about sex is perfect. Yeah, and they don't, he doesn't specify that this is the only way, because I think, doesn't Darren ask him, like, is this the only way? And he was like, eh, it's one of them. Yeah, exactly. It's probably the best way for this situation. <laughs> so Larton tells Darren that the scars on his fingertips are the only ways you can usually tell someone is a vampire. And something tells me this is going to be important later, so keep that in mind, kids. There's no time for Darren's vampire questions like the powers that he now has, they have got to get Steve the antidote or he going to die. <laughs> so they got to go. After zipping through town on Krepsley's back, super speed, check. I liked that. I noticed he was wearing slippers and then we seemed to slip through town. 
So they climb the hospital wall outside and he's using, you know, Krepsley's using his strong ass fingernails and I'm like, Spider-Man check. And they slip into Steve's window. Darren is all like, hurry up. And like a bossy little shit. And Krepsley is very patient with this kid considering how old he is. And he's a vampire. And he's so powerful. He's extremely patient. <laughs> I probably would have said, you know what? Forget this shit. I'm done with kids and just bolted. <laughs> It's probably too just, I mean, the older you get, time just has a different meaning. Or you even... get more patient, I guess. So Krepsley gives Steve the antidote carefully through a small neck incision. He spits it into the kid's neck. It's just weirdness. Yeah. But it is funny to note that he says he eventually wants to take a course to do this, the quote, easy way with like a needle injection, which I thought was kind of funny. I'm going to need to take a course to do this. Like you're this, you've been around this long. You haven't taken a course. Aaron, that's going to be your first job. I want you to go take, take a course, learn how to do this. Teach me. Or a course at the Y, learn how to do a, a course at uh, the a Y. <laughs> it's one of those little known courses they offer. Needle injection courses. Yep. Steve starts to jerk around, signifying that the paralysis is wearing off. Finally. Krepsley said he will be in and out of consciousness, but he should be fine by tomorrow. And Darren doesn't want to leave his friend, but Krepsley assures him that Steve will be fine. So Darren decides he's going to renege on the deal that he made and runs away from Larton, who laughs at his escape attempt. He's like, <laughs> okay. The vampire lets him go, but knows Darren will be back. After all, he is now a creature of the night. Why the hell do you think you can get away now, Darren? Like, after all you know, what makes you think he can't just come get you and kill you and your family? This kid is a dumbass. Like, why would you do this? Uh, because that doesn't seem to be Krepsley's style so far. Like, every time he's been like, oh, I knew. He's like, you were going to come back. You were going to make a mistake. I've, I've known. I've been watching you. Yeah, I guess so. After the news of Steve's recovery breaks, Darren goes to visit him. He ends up lying, saying that he stomped Madame Octa to death after she bit Steve. So then Steve recalls, like, he thinks he saw Darren and Krepsley in the room last night when he was in and out of it. And even a nurse said a boy and a man were there. Darren just pretty much keeps his head down, pretending it's a crazy story. And if I were Steve, I'd already be suspicious. Like, I don't think I was dreaming. Then Darren notices his powers are starting to kick in over the next few days. He has super hearing and can move really quickly around the field at school, like scoring every point that he can. He also gets his, his nails start getting really, really sharp, you know, demonstrated when he catches the ball that comes at him and it just pops because <laughs> he just pierces it with his fingers. That night at dinner, he accidentally chews up his fork, which I guess he now has super strong teeth. The next day, Steve shows up at school, mainly because he's bored at home. Who starts back at school on a Friday? I don't know. I guess it's kind of like a soft return back to normal in a way he gets all sorts of attention because of what happened. But the kicker is that Alan and Tommy don't know how to shut the fuck up. <laughs> they tell Steve that Darren is now a star player and may now move up to the under 17 team, which is another non-American phrase. I'm pretty sure this would probably be either junior varsity or varsity. Don't you think it'd probably be varsity or junior varsity? Well, probably be junior varsity because if they're 12 varsity is normally the last year i think varsity well in my school varsity was junior and senior 
Yeah. And then junior varsity was freshman and, and sophomore. sophomore. Steve looks at him suspiciously. This kid knows Darren. No amount of faking being bad at soccer is going to help you now. Like he's trying to, you know, act like, oh, I can't play. And he knows. He knows and but, that it's confirmed. <laughs> yes, because he really screws up next. While he's playing, he runs into Alan, who hurts his knee, and blood just starts gushing out, and Darren is entranced with it. He ends up dropping to the ground and immediately, like, putting his mouth on the kid's leg and starts sucking the blood out of his knee as everyone around him watches. It just, I mean, he says it tastes amazing, and it's all that he can, he, all he can think about is this irony taste, and ugh. He then pretends he is just playing around and pretending to be a vampire and everyone laughs and shakes it off. Everyone except Steve, that is. Told you he knew. At home that night, Darren studies himself for any physical changes because, you know, the fingernails. But he seems to look normal. However, his sister comes into the bathroom as he's in there and says that there's something different about him, but she can't put her finger on it. Then he sees her neck and somehow puts her into a trance. Suddenly obsessed with biting his sister, he bends down to take a sip from her neck until he sees his demonic expression in the mirror, just kind of evil looking, and he realizes what he's doing, and he snaps himself out of it. She pops out of her trance without any memory of what just happened, thankfully. Am I right, Darren? I mean, come on, you don't want that to happen. Darren has had it. He knows he can't handle these vampire impulses anymore. He So he ends up, back at the theater and at the mercy of Larton Krepsley. Krepsley seems impressed that Darren lasted so long without actually killing anyone. So I guess that's a good trait to have, Darren. Small favors, right? He also confirms that there's no going back now. The only way Darren will be free from the vampire curse is a stake through his heart. Darren finally relinquishes, knowing that he can't escape this now. So what's next? Krepsley says that now Darren has to die. And thus begins the goodbye process, saying goodbye to everything. He walks around town and is like, goodbye road I never thought about before. Goodbye store I've never been into. That kind of crap. <laughs> goodbye, moon. He's talking about all the good times here and there, you know. He spends some extra time with his family. His dad thinks he's, you know, he's going through puberty, obviously. He is, I'm pretty sure, but it's going to be slowed down now. For Sunday dinner, he convinces his family to stay in, and his mom makes his favorite meal, and everyone's having a great time, enjoying each other's company. It's like a fucking Norman Rockwell painting. He kisses his parents goodnight, and they think that's strange, because he doesn't do that. He's making sure they they know something is up without saying anything. He's just kind of like, I'm not going to be alive. <laughs> I love, love you. you. Last time. <laughs> when he goes upstairs, he finds Krepsley in his closet. And he's very snippy with him. He scolds the vampire for criticizing his stuffy closet in his room. And then he barks an order at Krepsley to take care of some of his belongings in a bag that he just hands over. Darren acts like he's he an entitled little shit. Yeah, don't look in here. He's really entitled, like dead or alive. He's kind of, what the hell's wrong with you, kid? He best be glad that he was born in this you know, PC era or his ass would have been whooped for the, <laughs> for the back talk he gives. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of understandable. I mean, Krepsley kind of hassles him and he just, he's like, dude, it's the last night I'm going to be with my family. Like, everything is changing. Like, I'm trying to give myself a, 
happy memories to think about of you know my last couple of days with my i spent time with my friends I, like let's not ruin it by right before you killed me you're like ha 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 your house sucks Boom. <laughs> you out the window. your house sucks so here's the plan <laughs> darren will drink a, a potion that will slow his heart rate Krepsley will then break Darren's neck, careful not to sever the spinal cord, paralyzing him. And they'll make sure it'll look like Darren fell out of his second story window. Yeah, but the way he was acting, it's going to seem like he killed himself. You you may break a bunch of bones <laughs> from when I want to throw you out the window. Yeah, he does. He throws them out and he's like, he's like, he most likely broke some bones. It takes a while, but finally a neighbor like walks up. He's on a walk and he finally sees him. He's like, <gasps> and after the banging on the door, parent, his parents come out all pissed off that they had to be woken up in the middle of the night, but they quickly freak out when they see their son dead on the lawn. Immediately, his dad is like, oh my God, oh my God, says he has to be paralyzed like Steve was, but he ends up breaking down and crying because he knows his son is actually dead. And this is really freaking dark for a middle middle grade book. Like this whole situation where he dies and his parents are crying and he's, you know, it's you know, blood and death and all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. Grade school Dustin would have been all about this book, but it's definitely not the usual like goosebumps friendly fare. You know, Darren explains they had to fake his death so that no one would be looking for them. They would if he simply just went missing or ran away. He's also very aware of the people around him talking and crying. And that would be torture for me. But at the same time, kind of nice to know how people really felt and how they really cared about you in a morbid way, you know? I don't know. People are going to let you down. And I just, I mean, overall, people are probably going to, like, say nice things about you. But I wouldn't want to hear because I'm certain I'd be like. You find out something you don't want to know. They didn't. They didn't see those nice things about me. Well, that one called me a bitch. Okay. <laughs> Thank God I'm not actually dead. I can come back and kill him. Um, <laughs> that's what I'd be thinking. They take him home and they lay him out for visitors to see at the house with no casket. That's this so does weird. not take place in the U S at all. This is totally a European thing. This does not happen in the U S well, we do not do that here. We usually go to funeral US. homes. It used to happen. Uh, laying in, especially in the South, was kind of a, like, that's, the body was there until it was taken to the... Well, it's kind of supposed to be modern times, you know? Yeah, and it's, I mean... If it's supposed to take place maybe in the U.S., this would not be happening here, so I know it's not taking place here. Not overall, but there are still some places in the South, like the Deep South, like smaller towns, where, like, that's what you do is you have a lie-in. Yeah. At some point everyone has gone someone comes in and starts to examine him poking him with a needle and taking pictures even lift you know looking at his fingertips yeah you remember that whole usual vampire thing you can tell who's a vampire because of the scars on their fingertips then they leave just as mysteriously as they came like he doesn't know who it was he can't see them obviously darren whose body is starting to wake up from the poison waits till morning where his parents come to cry by his side. Is it just me or is it just really disturbing? They already start talking about having another kid or adopting. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, maybe we could have another kid. I'm like, my God, he's right here. He's not even like the body's barely cold. Like what's going on here? They finally put him into a coffin 
They nail it shut, of course, and they take him to the church for the funeral, and then they bury him. The second that they nailed the coffin shut, I would have lost my mind. Like, paralyzed in a dark, small space. Seriously, I would have I would probably have been taken to an insane asylum after I got out of there. I would have gone nuts. I would have snapped. <laughs> I can't be your so, vampire assistant. I've lost my mind. I can't do this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Kill me now. Bored inside his coffin, Darren just waits for his body to wake up. And he says it's peaceful hearing the earth and the worms and whatnot. And all I can think of is how much I probably would have died from claustrophobia. <laughs> no. Krepsley finally shows up. He quickly digs up Darren and unscrews the coffin. And Darren is stiff and bruised, but nothing is broken from when Cart, you know, Larton threw him out the window, which is weird. Darren actually offers to help fill in his own grave, but Krepsley knows that he's he'd be really slow and Darren has to, you know. Essentially, he's like, go walk it off. Just walk, walk it, it off, off, you know, work out your legs. And that's when he gets jumped by someone with a wooden stake that turns out to be Steve. Steve. Oh, Steve. The crazy kid figured it all out when Darren licked Alan's bloody knee on the school, you know, in the field. What then gave followed- me away? Oh, my God. <laughs> you were licking blood <laughs> off of another human. <laughs> yeah. He then followed Darren around and basically just knows everything. He says he's vampire hunting. He's found him a pair of vampires. Yeah, this pretty much confirms that Steve is, in fact, evil the way Krepsley said. Darren stalls Krepsley to talk with Steve, who's actually scared and in over his head. He tries to tell Steve everything that transpired, but Steve thinks Darren set him up. He thinks he told Krepsley that Steve was evil. He thinks Darren was given Madame Octa instead of stealing her like he said. This kid is uber paranoid and needs some mental health and professionals stat. Steve says he won't try to kill them now. No. He's going to grow up into a big, strong vampire hunter and track them down. And then he'll fight like a big boy. (laughs) Steve is seriously deranged. Like he is going nuts. Darren realizes he could and should stop Steve, but he just lets him get away. I'm not sure why, since it's, you know, Steve's obviously the bad guy here, but whatever you do, you Darren Chan. Because he's his friend. Yeah. Like... The rose-colored glasses are off after, you know, he started to see his friend in a different light. But he still sees his friend and not cray-cray. <laughs> not cray-cray. Darren returns to Krepsley as he's finishing filling up the grave. Larton calls him on his strange behavior. He's like, what's going on with you? And Darren just lies and says it's because he was in the coffin all day. Yeah, smart. Don't tell him about this crazy kid that wants you both dead that you hope will forget about you soon. Good idea, Darren. Well, he's protecting his friend still. I know. He's a better person now. If he was an asshole like Steve, he totally would be like, yeah, Steve was here. Go kill his ass. hungry. Let's go eat Steve. Mm-hmm. Mm, get some of that Steve blood. That evil. Well, I don't know. Because Krebsley was like, ugh, you taste That's bad. Bad blood. I don't like that blood. I'm sure it would do in a pinch, though. Krepsley lets it slip that their plan worked out perfectly, even though there were so many factors that could go wrong. <laughs> what? I know. And for some reason, this upsets Darren, and he tries to fight Krepsley. I'm like, chill out, kid. None of the bad stuff happened. No need to be angry about it now. <laughs> you didn't need to know about it then. It worked out. We're good. Before leaving, Darren pauses, and Krepsley knows what's up. He tells him leaving everything behind is part of the vampire way of life, and it never gets easier. 
their life is that of isolation. No friends or love interests. This feels like the start of their bonding with Larton telling him the harsh realities of their life now. But apparently, Darren will get used to everything in a few decades. You know, when he's finally 16 or something. (laughs) Having not eaten since Sunday, Darren is ready for a meal. He doesn't want to think about what's on the menu as he joins his new master. Most likely it's blood, though. I mean, come on. The end. So, yeah, I like how this, you know, this story goes. And I think it's kind of neat how it's a 12 book series. And I think there's an actually a, a spinoff, a prequel series for Larton Crepsley. It's called, the, you know, the saga of Larton Crepsley. I think there's like three or four books in that. But this is a 12 book series and each every three books is a complete story in the series, like a complete volume, apparently. And not only does, you know, Darren Shan, who that's what he goes by now for all of his books, he's come out. This was one of his first main big series. And then he came out with this zombie series. And then he also has the Demonata series. And now he has a new um a book series called Archibald Locks. And I think that's primarily online. He actually had, I think the first book I think was free for a while. And a lot of people jumped on it and were like, this is great. I don't know anything about it. I have no idea what it's about because I was focused on Cirque. So that's where we are. But if you're so inclined go check it out. Um, thank you so much for, for reading this with me, Meg. I appreciate it. <laughs> you're welcome. Have any comments or questions about this episode or the show in general? Reach out to me on Twitter at Dustin underscore Holden or Instagram at Dustin Can Read. Email me at DustinCanReadPod at gmail.com and please be sure to subscribe to be alerted of new episodes as well as rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Dustin Can Read.